0: Good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. This is Talkin' Impact, brought to you by the Institute for Social Innovation and Impact at the University of Northampton. My name is Richard Hazenberg, and in each podcast, I am joined by a leading person from the world of social innovation to discuss their life, work, and the current affairs issue of the day. This week, I'm joined by Meg Needham from Golden Years, an organisation that aims to give elderly people the chance to take part in a range of social groups and activities to reduce loneliness and isolation. Welcome to the show, Meg. Hiya. How are you? Fine, thank you. So, Golden Years, tell us a little bit about it. What you know? What work do you do, and what's involved in it?
1: So, we're a community group um, running for older people within their own homes and in the community, and we run a ri- wide range of trips and friendship groups to try and help tackle the problem with social isolation and loneliness. So, we organise and run the transport to get people from their homes out into the community and to these friendship groups and any trips that we run Um, and it's a way for them to sort of come together and make friends with other people in similar situation it just closes that gap of loneliness for them because it once they get out of those four walls they're able to be amongst other people who are also in a similar situation.
0: Yeah I mean and loneliness is a it's definitely loneliness and social isolation have definitely been Important topics in the news the last few yeah. years, haven't they? Quite, quite come to the forefront, particularly around the elderly.
1: I think um, as it's like it's well known that the we're an aging population, and what was once sort of you know, people in their 70s and 80s was once considered old, whereas now that's considered quite young compared to what we're now classing as old. So people generally are living a lot, living a lot longer but just because they're living doesn't necessarily mean to say they're still accessing daily activities the same way they once would have done. Um, And that's putting an added strain onto our healthcare system, which everybody also knows is under a huge amount of pressure. So basically what Golden Years is aiming to do is to encourage these older people to live more independently, but to be accessing the community as they would if they were 10 years younger, with, with the support of Golden Years and any other resources we can tap into, in the hope that by keeping them more independent, we will slow down that process of them hitting the healthcare system, so that if even if they are in their 80s, early 90s, say, they are still getting out and about and looking after their health, and they're motivated to still live independently, so that over time, and if a lot of other councils can roll out similar structures to what we've done, um, it will hopefully sort of have a benefit impact on the healthcare system as a whole.
0: Where did you get the the inspiration for this from? I mean, where did the idea that you suddenly wanted to help older people to connect with community groups and connect with each other and support them to get out and about?
1: There was a few contributing factors, I guess. Um, I've always been incredibly close with my grandparents um, from a really young age. I used to go and help at senior citizens clubs that they ran. Um, in the school holidays, so my grandparents helped to run two senior citizens clubs on a Monday and a Thursday, um, where they'd just play bingo, have cups of tea and just socialise, but that was a lifeline for so many of their friends, and they would get sort of anything between 20 and 70 people each week to those, so I loved doing that as a child. Um, And then I started work as an activity coordinator for a private um, retirement scheme. Um, when I was 21, worked as the activity coordinator for eight years there, where I ran all the events and coordinated different things, trips, holidays, um, day-to-day activities and um, themed events, which again I loved and I saw the importance of how keeping older people occupied and motivated in an activity-based world helped to improve or at least stabilise their overall health. I then went off to do my nursing, which I felt was a logical step for somebody like for me who loved helping people and loved working with the elderly. but quite quickly, like so I got halfway through my nursing training and was just met time and time and time again with limited resources, um, shortages of staff. Um, most of the patients that I dealt with were of the older age bracket most of which were either in hospital because they couldn't go home because they had no um, su- suitable care package in place to be able to return home. The ones out in the community had been sent home nine times out of ten on an unsafe discharge because they didn't have the correct um, support in place out in the community. Overall, it was just sort of tragic, really, to see that some of some of the... Um, state the system is now in and I'd look at a lot of the patients and I would just think there is no real reason why they should have ended up this isolated in their own home because they've got they've still got they're still on their legs they've still got means of Um, getting out they just had either lost their confidence and didn't want to go out on their own or they might well have not been too clever like walking on their feet but with a little bit of support either in a wheelchair or something they still could have accessed the community and still been able to have enjoyed a fairly decent quality of life but just needed that support in getting out but that is what they lacked they lacked the the support the nursing care was there they know the district nurses or carers and that kind of thing but there was nothing in that interim stage that could help them to do day-to-day stuff other than personal care and, and you know a care package so it was from there really that I realized there was a big chunk of support missing um I also knew from years ago when we lost my granddad um how important it is to help people at that stage when they've just lost a husband or a wife because my nan was incredibly lucky when she lost up when we lost my granddad that she had us as a family who still encouraged her to go out and to be with her friends. We'd we'd arrange transport for her, we'd between us juggle, picking her up, taking her to places to be with her friends, and knowing that she had that secure lift sorted was the difference between her going out or not. Um so she was really lucky and I think we've been able to have my nan around for so much longer because she has been able to enjoy a really active life after losing my granddad but if she hadn't have had us she wasn't somebody who could drive she was used to my granddad organizing all of that kind of thing so without us she would have probably have really sort of withdrawn from society quite a lot and that probably would have impacted quite negatively on her overall lifestyle and well-being so I knew that in order to help a lot of older people to stay independent and to stay motivated and wanting to live a, a good life, help being a support network there for, you know, at a time when they may lose a husband or wife or a best friend even or something like that was really quite important as well because they may look completely independent to the human eye um, and you might pass them on the street and think, oh, there's no, you know, you wouldn't even notice them because they don't look old. But actually they can quite often be the ones that are struggling the most because they've recently lost somebody and they, they don't really know where they slot in anymore because their circle of friends changes when they lose a husband or wife. You know, they're used to going out in couples, but now they're on their own. That can really be quite detrimental. So that's another area of where there was a big gap to support people so we're kind of trying to cover all bases with what we're doing um, and it's working quite well
0: yeah no i mean you seem to be having some great yeah. great success in the county around delivering these services
1: yeah
0: i want to come back and talk to you in a bit more detail later on in the show about some of the factors that we see with the elderly that leads to social isolation and what the causes of that might yeah. be Regular listeners will know though that obviously one of the key reasons that we uh, that we do this podcast is to talk about social innovation and, and what does that what does that mean and we had a great conversation before the show started um, about do we actually know what it means yeah. I mean what is social innovation how yeah. do you, could you possibly define that in one word I mean as nebulous a concept as it is what what does it what does it mean to you um, Social yeah, emotion. that's
1: the thing. I, I I really wouldn't know how to sum it up in a sentence. I, mean, I have a tendency to ramble at the best of times, but um, I I think like as as it sounds like it's something that it can is a can socially benefit many people with some like a brand new theory or an adapted theory to you know create something slightly new and improved maybe. Um, but I, I don't, I really don't know how to, <laughs> to um, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. All right.
0: Well, I mean, I suppose what you're saying is, yeah, it's it's sort of a new development of new products or services yeah. that delivers some kind of impact or positive value And thinking outside the lives. box
1: is what springs to yeah. mind with me. I know that I've always been described as that person who can never quite keep the thoughts in the box. I've always been that person who goes outside the box and that to me is what innovation is all about. It's about sort of breaking, not boundaries as such, but sort of looking a bit further on from where you would typically stay, like with with thoughts and planning and organisations and things like that. (laughs)
0: what are the barriers to you as an innovator in breaking those barriers and, and breaking those through those boundaries? Because obviously you, you, you're trying to work within systems that have very closed ways of working.
1: Yeah. Oh my um, gosh, that has been, yeah, a challenge from start on like daily. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a lot, as my, most people know, like with any, um, anything these days, there's so much red tape um, and legislations and rules and, and things like that. And especially when you're working in such a volatile and vulnerable sector, um, I've had to be incredibly careful that I have understood and research and understand um my sector, which luckily for me because I'd done I'd worked in health in the healthcare system for so long and obviously um went through half of my nursing training. A lot of a lot of it is second nature to me. Um, you know, things like confidentiality, um safeguarding for no, other policies and things like that but barriers such as um, like even communication barriers and things like that like the discrimination barrier that that's a huge one for me to be breaking down all the time because obviously the concept of golden years is to try and encourage older people to live a lot younger um, so some of the activities that I'm trying to encourage them to do, a lot of people the straight away, they say, oh, they can't do that, they're too old. And that's a barrier straight away because as soon as somebody says that, it makes that person think, oh, I shouldn't be doing that because I'm too old. Whereas I'm trying to ro- rotate that thought process because everybody can do anything that's, you know, but not, well, you know, younger people, it works a bit differently the other way around because there are age limits for for younger people. But, um, you know, when you get to that age, you why, why can't you take a few risks? And why can't you, as long as they're controlled risks and, you know, they're the benefit is going to outweigh any risk. Um, so, yeah, bar- barriers are something that, with not just that, there's um, financial boundaries and barriers we've come up against. Um, what, you know, fundraising, even with things like that because of... Um, you know there's all that about um positive um personal gain and things like that i have to be really clear and precise to make sure that everybody realizes that i don't take any money from this um i do everything i do is volun- volun- voluntary at the minute until we get to the point where i can be get receive a funded wage anything that golden years makes with regards to finances gets pumped back into the project to be able to keep it going so that in itself is another huge um Sort of barrier to us there's so many i don't even know where, where to properly start with that <laughs>
0: <laughs> well i mean there's a couple in there that i think you mentioned um the, fir- the first one is actually this side you know you talk about safeguarding and, and everything else actually we talk about social innovation all the time as if it's always a good thing but actually you could develop a new product or service that has unintended consequences or actually mm. does 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 harm um I mean, how did you go about trying to mitigate that? I know you've got your experience, but did, were, you, were you testing yeah, projects and programs? Yeah, or?
1: I mean, if you look at my business plan that was set out when I first launched Golden Years, it's nothing remotely like what we're actually delivering because things just evolve and you, and you go with the demand, so to speak. But with, with things like safeguarding, obviously, I have to be really very precise and careful because... I've got to look out for myself and my volunteers at the same time as obviously safeguarding the members and anybody who we come into contact with really, I've got a responsibility to everybody. Um, so obviously the first and foremost was that anybody, volunteer volunteers who have one-to-one or um, any direct dealings with members have a DBS checked so police checked I've got enhanced DBS check. Like I've got six actually <laughs> just to be greedy but um so things like that we go through safeguarding training so any volunteers have um specific training so that they're aware of how to conduct themselves but also what signs to look out for in in case they um suspect anybody else is breaching any kind of safeguarding because it might be that there's another volunteer on the books that I'm not aware of that's breaching safeguarding policies but another volunteer might see it and you know so they've got the knowledge to know what to do in that kind of situation Um, but because golden years although we're dealing with vulnerable people they are there is a clause that everybody who's part of golden years does have to have that is independent and responsible for themselves as well like we don't deliver any element of care so that is very that's paramount for people to understand that people come onto our trips and into our events, knowing that they are responsible for themselves and that we will, we can offer minimal support, but we're not carers and we're not responsible for their like oh like their their that um, we're not responsible f- entirely for them like we're responsible for the you know basic things that whilst they're on our premises or in in our events but their actual actions and everything they're responsible for. So that's something as well that we've had to make quite clear. Um, but yeah, we I've got a lot of, I, I sought a lot of um, advice from various people. Um, Nen Valley Community Action gave me a lot of advice and, and helped with a lot of the training for some of the safeguarding. Um, so did support Northamptonshire. I went down a lot of channels to try and make sure that I was overly... Um, covered (laughs) if we've got insurances and things like that so um again which taps into more of the financial side as well because obviously although all of those things come with a cost so um it was sort of catch 22 where do you start first but obviously you have to have those things otherwise you can't get anything off the ground um so yeah we're hopefully as covered and as we've thought everything through risk assessments or you love to hate risk assessments (laughs) (laughs)
0: We have yeah. the <laughs> as well,
1: yeah. got a risk assessment for a risk assessment <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: and and you also mentioned finance as well um i mean in you know in the early days how are you how how have you been financing it and have you been supported by grants Are you know are you contracting with the with the, the health service or yeah. the, the um, council
1: i think uh, so basically we we've had very minimal um Support with funding. We've, we've we've been running eighteen months now. Um, for the first six months, I was I self-funded it through this through um, my own savings and and support from family. <coughs> I don't take a wage from it. I never have. Um, so everything I do, I work in excess of sixty hours a week, and I don't take any wage for any of that. Um, we did get a couple of grants from the Northamptonshire Foundation Trust. Um, for support with the transport and also support to get another friendship cafe up and running. So they, that, that's that been a huge help to us. We also got a small grant from Greggs um, to help with the catering costs for our friendship group on a Tuesday. And we've had small amounts, like a couple of hundred pounds here and there from various um, different um, fundraising events. And... Um, but generally, we do most of our own like independent fundraising. We don't. We haven't. I think we had five hundred pound from the local council for the um, to put to put towards office equipment. But other than that, there hasn't really been anything from the council. We haven't had anything from like no government funding or anything like that. Um, so yeah, most of it is self-funded and like independently generated through our own fundraising schemes, um, which. Again, monopolizes a lot of my time because when you're having to coordinate fundraising events, um, that does take a lot. That does take up a lot of time. But we we tick by so like up until now, and then over the next sort of year to eighteen months from here, we hope to sort of turn things around even more when we get charity status, um, where we can apply for more support with funding, because we'll be able to clearly demonstrate that. We are saving the community so much money with healthcare costs through um, incentives like ours. Um, if we can demonstrate more you know more of a quantifying way how much we're saving, it, it gives us a better ground to go in and ask for a precise amount of money maybe. so um, yeah, well, there was another bit to that question, but I can't remember what it was. <laughs>
0: Any 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 sort of trading relationship, like you actually got any contracts with the health service? Yeah, no, not so much the products?
1: health service. Um we're looking to um, tap into a few new projects in the new year. Um I'm work I'm in, I'm hoping to work a bit closer with Wellingborough Homes, um who obviously house a lot of older people, um so there may be some room for, for sort of trading there. Um but no, I mean, eventually I want to try and get into social prescription as well. Um, yeah. But again, I'll, I'll be, it's really paramount for me to make sure we've got an established and firm foundation before taking on too much. Um, so we're doing smaller trades with things, um, you know, like um, some of the group will be able to help um litter pick or something like that in exchange for somebody giving us a discount in a shop or something like that but it is something that we need to explore a little bit more Um, there's a lot of talk of projects to come in the new year but finding the time to actually set things in stone and putting things into practice it's just a a matter of time at the moment
0: but obviously the reputation has has grown quite rapidly and you, you found yourself in november at the Social Echo yeah. Conference on the stage at the you know at the Guild Hall with Lord Bird from the Big Issue.
1: Yeah, that that actually was a really incredible experience for us because I just agreed to these things and I had no idea the enormity of what that presentation was going to do for us. Because I mean, it was quite clear that I didn't go prepared because I didn't realise that I was I didn't fully appreciate what what was being asked of me <clears throat> in that presentation, so. Since then, we've had an awful lot of support of people coming forward saying, you know, we think we could work with you, you know, in various different projects. That's how the Wellingborough Homes um, project could has come about. And there's been a few other things. And actually, um, I think lord bird (laughs) felt really sorry for me um but he also admires the work i've done because he knows i've obviously built it up from from the floor upwards um so he's been really supportive as well so he's assigned a couple of his team to support me with various things so there's a lot of excitement there and he's actually going to come back to northampton and visit the group um in a month or so's time so yeah, I think pretty much Golden Years has been taken on as the protege project for that um campaign.
0: No, I think you've been a bit harsh on yourself. I thought it was a <laughs> great presentation and um, like you say to be to be you know, to be sort of thrust into that environment and but it shows the value, the importance of networking yeah, yeah. and actually getting out there yeah. and being seen in, in terms of getting That's the that only way I've been to able support. to
1: get Golden Years to where it is now. It's 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 purely been down to networking and knowing people who can help me with where I need to be going on the next step so it's just been a whole series of stepping stones so like leapfrogging from one to the other and it's all been through word of mouth of people being prepared to help me um and in actual fact that's far more valuable than any wage you could ever earn I mean I get so much more out of what I do than a wage packet could give me so it we wouldn't have had the same journey if somebody had handed me a load of money at the beginning, um, if they'd understood what I was trying to do and said, yeah, we we think this sounds like a great idea, we're gonna invest however much money in it. Um, We probably wouldn't, well, I know for a fact, we wouldn't have had the same journey, but because I had nothing to fall back on, it pushed me harder each time and because when I would go to people like the council or different services and ask for support because this is a brand new incentive that nobody really understood what I was trying to do um, it sounded so simple which is why I think people couldn't get their head around it. Um, Nobody really was willing to put their neck on the line and say yeah we'll support this so it has literally been a one man band <laughs> for this eight, like well at least for the first year and now I can prove that it's working and I, and I can demonstrate on paper and online and you know whichever way you want to look at it that how it works and demonstrate how it was set up how what worked what didn't suddenly now more people are interested um, which is great because I've been able to demonstrate a journey and it has Literally been through trading without even realizing probably, like I've probably helped somebody by baking them a cake for the mother in- law's birthday in exchange for them, you know putting me in contact with somebody who knows about business cards, <laughs> like that kind of thing, because I just wasn't from that world, like I was from a nursing background, so the world of business is was a whole new ball game to me, so yeah, networking is most definitely the the winning part
0: to all of this what you were saying in there nicely segues us into the last question for this segment you were talking about you know doing this voluntarily really for 18 months not taking a wage out the struggle and the importance of that that being said um if you get golden years to the point where you can draw a wage out one of the questions that we often talk to our guests about is this idea of how much as a social entrepreneur, can you take out of your business? And we, and we do it tongue-in-cheek. Um, I had lined up a Porsche this <sighs> th- this week, but we were talking before, and I think Aston Martin is more Aston of your, Martin, yeah, your more kind of car. Yeah. So, you know, do you think that as a social entrepreneur you could ever drive an Aston Martin?
1: I think it should reflect um, the work you put in. So, for me personally... Um, whether it's a car or whether it's a flash holiday if you know for a, for a certain fact that you are putting your heart and soul into a, into your job and you're busting a gut to get it to where it needs to be and it's got everything it needs and and if that means that you can take a, uh, take something you know relevant to the work you've put in to reward yourself for that hard work then yeah I don't see why not if it's not at the you know detriment of what the organisation or whatever that you're doing, but yeah, I think I mean, I've well over the last 18 months, I've put I dread to think how many hours I've put into golden years and like again, like never taking a wage. But if one year further down the line I'm able to take a wage, then I know like hand and heart I've learned that, and that with how much the community is benefiting from the work I'm putting in. If I wanted to treat myself to something, and we were in a position for me to be able to do that, I think that yeah, I think you you people if they if they if they if the person feels that they deserve they deserve it, but then we've all got different um, ideas of what we deserve. I know for me to feel like I've deserved something, I really have to have worked really hard. But um, so yeah. In a roundabout way of answering your question, I think it comes down to the individual. But for me personally, if I had the money sitting in the bank that was spare, I would buy an Aston Martin.
0: Well, there you go, listeners. It's about heart and soul and about how much passion um, you're prepared to put into the business as to what you can take out. Do you agree or do you disagree with Meg's take? Feel free to let us know via our Twitter feed at Institute SII and our LinkedIn page www.instituteforsocialinnovationandimpact.co.uk. Join us after the break when we're talking about a new government scheme to help um, reduce loneliness and social isolation amongst the elderly. Welcome back to Talking Impact. Each podcast, we explore a topical issue related to the third sector and or our guest social entrepreneurs' work. This show's theme is therefore centred on social isolation amongst the elderly, especially in the wake of the government's new £11.5 million fund announced in December to tackle loneliness. Created in partnership with the Big Lottery Fund and the Co-op Foundation, this fund will target up to 126 organisations to enable additional support for older people suffering from social isolation. I mean, Meg, it's great to see that the government is putting at least a little bit of its money where its mouth is and isn't so fully distracted by Brexit that it doesn't see some of the other issues that are going on. I mean, what are the daily problems that you see associated with loneliness amongst the elderly?
1: I think, um, I mean, I don't know. um, For me personally, I can relate quite heavily to how crippling um, loneliness and social isolation can be. When I was uh, from the age of 17 to 21, I suffered with an eating disorder and I was so unwell that I was incredibly isolated. I wasn't even able to drive very easily or anything. So for four years, I had kind of shut off from society. I'd lost contact with a lot of friends. So although I was at the other end of the scale age-wise, I can still relate quite heavily to how a lot of older people might feel when they feel trapped within not just the four walls, but also trapped within their own thought process and the problem is for loneliness and isolation is that if you've not got enough going on around you the things going on inside like the, the brain or the head start to go over over time so you know if there's a if there's a, a simple little worry that ordinarily somebody would be able to cope with quite easily deal with it and move on to, with something else for somebody that hasn't got as much going on they will focus more heavily on that and what was a small problem would will suddenly escalate to be a a much bigger problem causing you know anxiety sometimes depression can um you know affect eating and like the appetite so if somebody's not eating properly then that's going to cause then a number of other problems so learning it might not um look like it you know at the, at the core root of the problem it's sort of very small to start with but if left can escalate into something quite big and it all does start really with loneliness um so and that's I think a running trend in the older generation that somebody will start to feel on their own so then they start to withdraw more and more they start to you know lose their appetite so they don't they don't want to cook for themselves because they're they on their own, so then they're not eating as well. They're not getting the nutrition that they need, so they become weaker, and and that can impact on health conditions. Um, it can affect with you know their their strength, so they can start to lose mobility a little bit because if they are weaker, um, and then before you know it, they're hitting the health the healthcare sector because they're not managing properly on their own, and it all came down to that first problem of feeling a bit lonely so um, for me I definitely think and I think a lot of people would agree that if you can treat or prevent the loneliness and the social isolation a lot of the other things that come after that can be corrected but if somebody feels on their own and like they've got not as much to live for generally their health will deteriorate a lot quicker
0: I did some. I mean, I did some digging into some of the stats around this before the show, and um, there's a lot of studies out there with varying results. But it seems to be that, you know, people who are lonely have a up to a third, at least twenty five to thirty percent um, higher mortality rate than than people who aren't lonely and yeah. socially isolated. And that's actually quite shocking to think that actually, you know, you can have that much of an increase of risk of death. Yeah. Just from like not and unfortunately,
1: social sorry to interrupt, but unfortunately, um, before it gets to the point of, of that, it would, there it would be, from experience, it tends to be a lot more drawn out, um, so the ill health would kick in before the before the death rates kick in, and unfortunately, that period of time of ill health is a considerably lengthier time than say for somebody who was a lot healthier and had a healthier mindset because generally healthier mind often means healthier lifestyle and body as well so the chances are that somebody will stay healthier for longer whereas if somebody is more unhealthy um, in mindset and body then it will be a gradual deterioration So. It will, it's, it's a miserable time for people, like loneliness is, honestly, it's, I've seen it so many times in, in, in different age groups, it's not just older people, I think that's what um, a lot of the studies don't always show, that um, obviously older people is, is the area that I'm tackling the most, but it, it's been brought to my attention more and more, that there's a lot of younger people You know, recently retired or even leading up to retirement, this is why people don't want to retire because they're already foreseeing that they're going to be lonely because if they're living on their own, unless they go to work, they're not going to be seeing anybody for however long. Um, So, you know, loneliness is an absolute... It's a a crippler.
0: What kind of things... You know, we talked earlier about the services you provide, um, you know, to transport elderly people around whatever it is the community groups what is it you you know yes they're getting the social contact but what is it you actually think that they that they they, they're getting out of that 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 drives all this away and allows them to sort of build their life back up
1: so um, as part of my recovery process when I was recovering from anorexia um, I was always really fortunate that I had a really positive mindset so despite the condition that I was living with I was always quite intent on getting better because there was an awful lot I wanted to do with my life and in order to do those things with my life I needed to be well. Um, I've always wanted to be an interesting person and I've always wanted to continually have new experiences so every year I write a list of however many things I want to achieve that year and it's random things like, um, you know, I, I want to go to the indoor crazy golf place in London. I want to go to the duck and waffle restaurant in London. I want to have a barbecue on the beach. Um I want to design my own perfume. Um I'm trying to think of some of the ones I did last year. I want to go to the jazz a jazz bar somewhere. You know really some things that are quite simple some that you know are a bit more extravagant. But for me it's an achievement to work through that list and to do lots of different things and I thought to myself when I was doing my nursing because I had to do a lot more to get myself to because I was so miserable (laughs) Um, I hope I will still have this mindset when I'm older and that's when the penny kind of dropped that why can't people that are older still have these new experiences and um, I remember one time it really upset upset me when I was um, doing I was in the process of fundraising for a a tandem skydive and my dad had said that he would have liked to have done that if he, if he was younger. And I'd never thought of my dad as being too old to do something. And it really kind of took me aback that my dad was saying that he thought he was too old to do something. And um, that, combined with a few other thought processes that I'd had, just made me think that it's so important that people live for as long as they're alive. There is no point living a uh, living until you're 80 or 90 or 100 if you're going to stop living at 70 so golden years the ethos behind golden years is that we want people in the group to live like they're recycled teenagers so to do everything a teenager would be would do but with the wisdom of knowing how to do it more like, better <laughs> so that really is is what golden years is offering that's not so it's not just the trips it's the whole mentality of we don't we don't see their age we don't we don't care if they're 60 or if they're 80 if they want to do something we'll facilitate it we've got a very chilled out laid back friendly atmosphere um so it's the whole package that they get from golden years and not just the trips and not just the friendship groups it's the whole support and um Extension of their family kind of feel that that comes with it, and that permission for them to be how they want to be. Or to you know, if they're having a bad day, they can talk honestly about it, they don't have to pretend that like they might have to with their family because they don't want to worry their family. You know, if they're a bit upset or if they're happy about something, however, they are that day, they can just be themselves at whatever point they're at that day, and if they want to do something, we'll support them safely. Um, to do something and if they don't want to do something then that's fine as well. There's no pressure either way.
0: And, and what, what, what are the causes of all this? I mean, um, what what tends to... You, you mentioned earlier on in the podcast like things like bereavement. Um, but I mean, also there could be areas such as community transport or lack of poverty, um, a lack of community groups in a local area. I'm just trying to give a few examples there. Yeah. But what, you, what are the key ones that you're seeing that are actually leading to people becoming
1: socially isolated confidence in their own abilities i think is one of the biggest things um i've definitely noticed since running the group that when they're with me a lot of the group rely on me thinking for them if that makes like without um, wanting to um, patronize anybody but they like that peace of mind of knowing that I've thought everything through, everything's in hand and in order, so they can literally turn up somewhere and have everything done for them, but not in a lazy kind of way, but just in a way they don't have to sort of um, worry about anything. Whereas if they had to book their own transport, whether it be a taxi, they'd have to worry about whether it's going to be a nice taxi driver, is he gonna is he or she gonna turn up? Are they gonna be able to is it going to be a taxi that they're going to be able to get in and out of? Are they going to be able to manage to, you know, carry their bags for them? You know, things like that. Or if they get in the bus, it's worrying about what the weather's going to be like for them to get up to the bus stop. Is the bus going to turn up? How much extra time do they have to allow in case the bus doesn't turn up? And it's all that kind of thing. It's one of those those added little um, worries That, like I was saying earlier, if they haven't got as much other things to think about, those little worries seem so much bigger to them. And that would quite often prevent them from wanting to do something because there's too much for them in one go to have to worry about or contend with. So, yeah, because they don't feel capable of doing all of that Um, or because they haven't got the confidence or even the motivation sometimes like sometimes if it's cold or raining outside or they don't want to go and stand at the bus stop for 20 minutes for a bus that may or may not have a seat on it for them Um, so that really puts them off going out and then that can be the difference between them going out or not so if they don't go out that day and they think oh I'll go out tomorrow instead and then it's raining again tomorrow before they know it a whole week's gone by and they haven't been out Um, So that's one thing in itself that Golden Years eliminates because we provide the transport door-to-door. They know that it's always me or one of the volunteers collecting them. They know that if we're running late, we ring them to let them know we're running late so they don't have to fret about whether or not we're going to be turning up. They know the vehicle so they don't have to worry about what car to be looking out for. Um, And they've just got that peace of mind and confidence. And they know as well that their family have got that peace of mind as well. So they know that like families, which is actually turned out to be one of the a, a big thing as well, where it for the families to have that peace of mind that mum or dad is being collected safely and returned safely. You know, like we wait, we see everybody indoors, whether it's dark or not. We make sure they're locked up and that they've got their curtains closed and things like that. And it's just those little things that taxi drivers and bus services and you know volunteer bureaus they don't necessarily offer that extra personal service
0: what more could be done though i mean whether it's by golden years whether it's by the government whether it's by other third sector organizations i don't think it perhaps really matters but what 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 additional support do you think is needed i think
1: um one of the biggest things for the golden years group is that i put the decision making over to them with the majority of what we do so they they tell me what they would like to do. I'll organise it. I'll put suggestions out there. But what, what's important is to make older people feel valued and listen to. And I think so often. I think I said that in the conference a few weeks few, like back in November that a lot of older people feel invisible to the society because they you know if you if they've got gray hair or if they're walking with a stick or something a lot of people will just disregard them which is unfortunately a really big barrier in in our society so i think first and foremost older people need to be treated with more respect and listened to more and asked what they want and asked um you know cuz they're not all the same like you know what what i tried to say as well is that Older people, you know, it can range 65 plus is a really big age gap. You wouldn't put children like five year olds in the same category as a 15 year old because there's 10 years between them, and the difference between a five year old and a 15 year old is quite huge. Well, it's the same for older people as well. A 65 year old is a lot different to an 85 year old, yet, in an age bracket on a form, because you you mostly always get 65 plus, you don't get 65 to 75, you know, so they're they're being categorised as a group altogether, and it's so frustrating because they're all individuals and they're all really different, and I think that's where we go really wrong as a society, that they're generalised and they're put in a box and they're not listened to, so I think first and foremost, if we're going to tackle... Anything to do with social um, values and things like that for older people, it's to make sure that their sort of their opinions and their their input is listened to because they're probably the best ones at knowing what what is needed to help tackle the overall problem. Because it's only going to get worse because people are only going to get older or live longer, and the strain on the healthcare services is ultimately going to get Worse, unless there can be that intervention, something similar to what we're doing, to slow that down at the at the other end.
0: Yeah, it's, it's interesting you say that as well, because there's um, a lot of work being done by the government at the moment around healthy age life expectancy. Um, so this idea that over the last 20 or 30 years, life expectancy has just steadily increased probably into the mid-80s now, probably longer. Yeah, for, I think it's for, 87 for, for, for a people. lady and... 84 Um, for a man or something like that yeah which is you know um, probably nearly 10 years older than it was only 25 years ago Um, but healthy age in life expectancy that is the 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 age you can expect to get to on average before you hit some kind of serious health problem is about 63 Yeah, and it hasn't moved too much in the last thirty years and that's what I mean like
1: medication lifting is keeping people alive but I know I know me personally I wouldn't want to be alive if I wasn't able to live a proper um quality you know with proper quality of life and I think that is something that I really want to push forward with in trying to promote for people to live like properly live and not just exist kind of thing because I don't want to be that person who's sitting in an armchair not speaking to anyone for days on end and only watching you know loose women every day like (laughs) that's not that's not the older age that I want to have I want to be able to get out and do things and hope and I hopefully I'm not the only one who feels like that hopefully we all feel like if we're going to work all these hours while we're younger and then get to retirement we want to be able to enjoy a retirement if we ever are lucky enough to get retirement yeah it gets
0: older old <laughs> yeah you know, so so yeah so it's a, it is about reducing that that gap between the, the healthy age and yeah. the life expectancy and the and whatever you, the, the life expectancy is giving them a better
1: yeah and i think if you can start with healthier mindsets i think that's the starting point and if you can encourage people to you know feel happier and healthier in themselves and give them that motivation to want to get up and do different things through occupation or whatever means that's the starting point really because i know i get up a lot quicker in the morning when i know i'm get going out to do something i really want to do whereas you know if you are just getting up to do basic things and you probably will get up a bit slower
0: <laughs> thanks so much for your time no, mate. it's been wonderful you. to talk to you to hear about the, the journey you've gone through golden years and to hear your thoughts around um the, the issues around loneliness and social social isolation with the elderly um so there you have it listeners you know tackling um tackling loneliness is is such an important part of giving um older people better quality of life as they as they get older improving their health uh, and possibly even saving, saving saving lives. If you want to engage with us on any of the topics discussed today on Talking Impact, then please let us know via our Twitter feed at Talking Impact and our LinkedIn page, impact.co.uk. Thanks again to Meg for joining us, and keep tabs on our iTunes feed for the next episode of Talking Impact. Thanks for listening to the Talking Impact podcast, brought to you by the Institute for Social Innovation and Impact. If you have any questions about the content discussed in this podcast, please email isii at northampton.ac.uk. For more information on the Institute's work, visit northampton.ac.uk forward slash research. You've been listening to a Jump Media Group production. Talk to us
1: at wejumphire.co.uk.